Welcome to the Fit Physician Podcast, the busy women doctors go to resource to take your strength, fitness, and confidence to levels you never thought imaginable. You spent your life dedicated to the health of others. It's time to prioritize your own. Now, your hosts. Hello, Fit Physicians. We are back with another episode of the Fit Physician Podcast. And in today's episode, we have none other than Dr. Jen Baxter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jake. It's an honor to be here. So Jen is a family physician who also does emergency medicine in rural BC, lives in the Sunshine Coast. She's been practicing for 10 years and through some of the trials and tribulations she's experienced in her own life has really developed a passion for self-compassion as a physician. And she also runs self-compassion wellness retreats, her next one coming up in May of 2024. So we'll give you more details on that at the end of the episode. But before we get to it, let's start with Jen. What was that that moment or that that motivation that made you want to become a women in medicine? I mean, I think from a fairly young age, I knew that it would likely be a good fit. I was always interested in science and the human body in particular, and definitely knew that I wanted to be doing something where I was helping other people. And I think I was really fortunate to have a pretty incredible role model in my mom. And she was a family doc and did a bit of everything herself and as a family doc. And so I had the privilege of seeing how what a career in medicine could look like and also how varied it could be and how it could change to to meet other demands in life. And so I think that really inspired me to consider it. Um, and then you know, as, as you go through med school and it's tough and you start, especially the school I was at, we did a lot of lectures for the first couple of years and you really question what you're doing. But once we got into patient care and actually getting to interact with people, that was my like, I'm definitely in the right place. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. So cool. I love that. And I also love how you followed in your mom's footsteps. And speaking about moments where you're kind of questioning if this is the right path for you in your career, you have a story where you were working out in in a very remote area, British Columbia, Canada, and you had a patient brought to you that had been mauled by a bear in your (laughs) first year of practice. Tell Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. Yeah. So this was up in Bella Bella, which is a very remote kind of fly in or boat in only access First Nations community. And yeah, this this unfortunate gentleman was working for a logging company and surveying, and they he had just walked kind of down and up out of a ravine, and as he came up, came between a mama bear and her cubs, unknowingly, and so then he had to, you know, he was obviously attacked, had to do a bit of fighting to get away, and then a, a rescue team was able to get him and bring them to us, so we kind of patched him up a bit and did the best we could, and then got him down into Vancouver because that's where he needed to be to get all the the actual care he needed. He was very lucky and it was all super relatively superficial wounds and he's done really well. But yeah, it was definitely a one of the crazier things I've seen in medicine for sure. Yeah, and in that first year and being relatively inexperienced, did you did you have a a moment during that time where you were like, what am I getting myself into? Definitely during my time in Bella Bella, yes. Yeah. That case in particular, at least, it, there were some really fortuitous parts to it. It was daytime. We had a team. There were multiple docs available to help. It was a supportive environment. It was better. But I had a number of cases where I was on my own as the only doc on the island over a night in the middle of the night when you can't transport patients out. 
we only had daytime access to flights out. And those moments were tough. I really, after a couple of those back-to-back, really questioned whether I was cut out, particularly to be a rural family doc, which is what I'd always thought I would do. Yeah, really questioned whether I was in the right place and why I was doing what I was doing. Wow. And so let's dive a little bit into the health and fitness side of things. Tell us about your experience growing up and and what health and fitness looked like or sports or activities, what that looked like for you. Yeah. So growing up, it was all fairly formalized. I did a lot of sports teams and competitive sports. You know, we were also active as a family. I had very active parents and fit nutrition was definitely a priority. So we ate. We just didn't know any other way, I guess, of, aside from eating whatever was put in front of us, which is always very healthy. Yeah, it was a much more, you know, going to practices and competitions and all that for, you know, between trampoline and tumbling. And then I played field hockey. And so lots of more formal fitness uh, that was kind of pre-scheduled for me, I guess. Yeah. And then leading into to medical school residency, how did things change? Big change. Uh, so I was on the varsity team for field hockey until my second year of undergrad. And then after that, uh, I was kind of on my own figuring out health and fitness. And it's a big change. And then as things got busier and busier, it was harder. You know, I was able to keep up a little bit better in med school and then residency really became much tougher. So I mostly was a, you know, runner, would jog and do that sort of thing, but not much. I definitely wasn't a gym person, didn't do weights at all. Mostly running. And then I did some triathlon at the time as well, some swimming and biking and that sort of thing. But it was often kind of go big or go home mentality. So, you know, I would do like crazy long bike rides and go for like 80 kilometers in a day, but not a consistent routine of being active every day by any stretch. Yeah. And what was the intention behind the running? Was it more so, okay, I need to do something mentally, I need to do something more physically? Like particularly through residency and when you found things really, really challenging, what was it that that drove you? Good question. Probably a bit of both. It was mostly feeling, knowing I needed to do something physical. I definitely felt the mental benefit of getting out clear in my head, that sort of thing. So that definitely was an encouraging factor. But it wasn't enough of a, self-care piece wasn't enough of a drive to get me to do it regularly. It was easy to make it the first thing to let it go because I was too busy. Right. And then so leading into starting your career, did you continue to find struggle? Did you continue to find challenges in prioritizing your health and fitness or was it a little bit easier as as you got started? I think it was just as hard. I mean, I think that first couple of years in practice are tough for all of us, you know, and especially I was trying to do full service family practice. I was trying to deliver babies and work emerge and have a family practice and finding balance when you're doing a lot of night shifts and a lot of that sort of thing is tough. And so I think I still really struggled to find a regular commitment to exercise. Yeah. And it's not an uncommon story that we hear amongst a lot of the physicians that we work with. And through that, were there were there any sort of side effects, any symptoms that you noticed from finding it challenging, uh, not only starting your career, but also to being able to prioritize yourself? Absolutely. I mean, I think I was working I know I was working way too much. You know, I had issues. I had problems with migraines since I was a teenager, but they were way worse. I was pushing myself harder than my body really could tolerate and feeling the effects. And I wasn't, you know, I was burning out pretty quick. I wasn't loving what I was doing. I wasn't happy. I was kind of just getting by, trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then you also endured a traumatic event, a traumatic brain injury. Tell us 
Tell us about how that all went down and how that shifted things for you. Yeah. So I was about two years into practice and had just started taking on patients for my own practice and was settling into a new community and was encouraged to try out the Women's Ice Hockey League, thought it might be a nice way to be active and social. I had played field hockey, but had never played ice hockey before. And uh, so gave it a try and borrowed a bunch of gear and went out on the ice and had fun, had a great practice. And then we were scrimmaging at the end and I reached for the puck and I went down and whacked my head. And didn't clue in initially. It took about 10 days to really clue in that things were different. The headaches were worse, but I could always explain why migraines might be worse. But I was sitting at a conference about 10 days after it and just couldn't focus. I was like, this is not me. You know, the headaches were out of control, unmanageable. Just walking around would give me a migraine. And I couldn't focus on a conference. And that's, you know, I'm not usually having that much trouble. So, so yeah, then everything changed. Uh, so I went off work immediately at that point. And that turned into about a six-month leave and then was gradually trying to work back into work. Tried going back to obstetrics, couldn't handle nights. They really unraveled me. And so, again, took a bit more time off, went back, tried again, finding different balance. And definitely through all that, then there was a huge mental health challenge as well. It was every part of my life that was affected. It was, you know, who I was. Everything I did was trying to get little bits of work in. And so there was no energy or time left for anything else. And my symptoms would flare and I'd be, you know, doing nothing else with my days. So my, you know, my relationship, my family, my all of that was affected. Yeah. And it's just been a really gradual process, really unlearning a lot of old habits that had gotten me to where I was for good and for bad, for better, or for worse. So, you know, yes, they got me to being a physician and you know, trying to be a rural family doc and do it all and all those things. But they'd also got me to a point where I was going to burn out one way or the other. And the concussion just kind of exacerbated and, and made me face that sooner than later. And so as I reprioritized myself and my wellness and appreciating that if I'm not well, I can't be of service to anyone else. I can't do my job. I also can't be a good wife, sister, daughter, all those things. It was really when I reframed everything when I stopped trying to get back to what I'd had and started appreciating. So when I stopped trying to go back to what things were like before and instead embraced what I did have and was grateful for what I had, made the most of that, and then considered what a different future might look like, that's when things really started to turn around. Awesome. And I want to talk more about the turning around portion, but give us a little bit more insight into sort of the toughest, the most challenging point. So you had this concussion, you took six Before. months off work. What was, or what were some of the moments where you were just, you were, you were struggling the hardest? What did you struggle with, whether it be mentally, physically? Um, what were some of the things and the thoughts that were running through your head during that really difficult time? Definitely the first leave was tough because it was, it, it wasn't a preset amount of time. I didn't know how long it would last. And so I kept thinking that I would be able to get back and get back. And so I'd go to the concussion clinic and I'd be reassessed. And every couple of weeks, it was like, no, we got to reassess in another couple of weeks. And I just remember being so disheartened over and over again, thinking I'm getting better. I must be getting better. I must be getting close. And then having it kind of feel like it was ripped out from under me every time that I just wasn't progressing fast enough. And so that was really hard. And I'm not sure that it's anyone's, it's not anyone's fault, but it, it certainly, you know, I wish in hindsight that someone could have laid out the trajectory a little bit more for me in, in advance. But then again, I'm not sure I would have heard it either because I would have said, well, I'll just work harder and it'll get 
better, faster, right? Which anyone who knows concussions knows that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> it was really hard when I had to actually, you know, sit in a therapist's office and, and have her run through diagnostic criteria for depression and say, this absolutely fits and have to realize that I was really not doing well, that I was quite profoundly depressed and, and struggling. And to have to do that inner work, to look at all of the patterns and where they come from and and the ways in which we're our own worst enemy, the ways that we we make things harder for ourselves or we hurt ourselves, often the best of intention behind it, but just going about it the wrong way. How self-critical, you know, when I first learned about self-compassion, there was a huge component of pain and heartache in terms of realizing all the ways that I had not offered myself that and all the times where I was really critical and hard on myself. And there's a lot of pain when you recognize that. So, and there was, there was a need to go through a grieving process of the vision you had for yourself and who you would be and who you would be as a physician and accepting that that wasn't going to happen, that that, you know, I had to let go of parts of my career I never anticipated I would let go of in order to be well. And I've been able to gain some of those back in ways I didn't anticipate, but I had to let them go first. And so that, those processes were particularly painful and challenging for sure. And so you had the concussion. How long before going through that journey did you start to feel like you were making progress? And did you, did you start to regain hope that you could get back to a place where, where you felt good, you felt happy, you felt strong, you felt confident? I was starting to feel a little more optimistic, probably about three years in. Because that was about the time I started trying to, I started going back to emerge work. Um, started to feel better. And then it really helped, to be honest. There was a, a legal battle with my disability insurance provider. And when that settled, that made a huge difference. Just that in and of itself is its own entity. And so I was finally starting to feel better right as the pandemic hit. <laughs> that was about the time when I was like, yeah, I'm starting to feel pretty good. And I could take on a little bit more. And then, which, you know, in turned out was I ended up being able to take on roles that I never would have imagined I could have managed a year or two prior to that. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of work, but in my own way, I thrived through that, which was rewarding. Yeah, amazing. And I think for any physician listening, you know, it doesn't have to be in concussion, but you're all fighting your own battle so to speak, in your own battle, in, in a self-compassion journey, in a prioritizing yourself, making time for yourself amongst so many competing demands where you're always giving, giving, giving. And so what were, what were some of the things, the thing that I always love to learn more about is the mental piece. What were some of the things mm-hmm. in that journey as you're, you're getting back to taking care of yourself and feeling better? What, what were some of the mental pieces that you used or the things that you would repeat your to yourself in order to to take the next step forward? A big one for me was appreciating, finally appreciating that if I wasn't well, I was of no use to anybody else. And I think because I repeatedly had to take leaves, it really shone in a, a spotlight for me that if I kept pushing myself in unsustainable ways, then I was having to walk away. And so I needed to find a sustainable balance that allowed me to keep showing up in a meaningful way, at a pace and in a way that worked for me. And when I finally was able to give myself permission to do that, that made a huge difference. It's hard and I still compare myself to my colleagues and still, 
you know, fight that battle. But I think I give myself a lot more space and grace around it. And, and I'm a lot more compassionate with myself, appreciating we all have our own journeys and our own issues and our own reasons we can't show up the same way as someone else does. And that's okay. And the system needs to be okay with each of us showing up how we can. And that's better than not showing up at all. Yeah. Amazing. And I think the saying is comparison, the thief of the thief of joy or the thief of individuality, right? And how did, if at all, exercise and nutrition play a piece in your your journey to to recovery, so to speak? Yeah. I think over time it's definitely played a big role. Now I would say it plays a very big role um, in maintaining my health and well-being. It was tough initially because I couldn't do much. You know, I was, you know, working to heart rate targets and short walks and and really limited by symptoms for quite a long time. And there was a huge period of time where there was also, I mean, there still is a fear of re-injury, but much more acutely not being able to do things I used to love to do because I couldn't risk hitting my head again. But I think as I've started to really, as it shifted away from being quite so much of a concussion journey and much more along a mental health lifelong journey, that's where the the physical health and the the fitness and the nutrition has really played a role that really focusing on being active and and making gains and strength and and functional fitness, like we talk about, like being able to bring see the benefits of the workouts and the other sports that I enjoy doing. That's made a huge difference. And that's what keeps me doing it. And it keeps, I think it really, when I'm able to keep prioritizing that, my mental health stays well and I stay well and I'm much more able to show up the way I want to. Yeah, awesome. And you talked about strength, Kane. So we've been working together in the Fit Physician program for I think just over a year now. And when we did your initial assessment, you had a set of 10 pound weights and that was it. And I remember doing that assessment and saying, we're going to need some heavier weights. Like I can already tell, like based on what you're doing and how you're using these weights, like you are a lot stronger than, than maybe you give yourself credit for it. Mm-hmm. So in our journey together in that process, we've discovered that. Tell me a little bit about the wins you've had on the strength side of things and what impact that's made again in your, in your continued journey through the, the concussion. But as all trying to do is just better ourselves. Yeah. I mean, huge wins in terms of even just confidence in my ability to lose more weight or to try things, like just to be encouraged to do that. And I would say there's a a huge shift in just feeling more comfortable and confident in my body that I just, you know, it doesn't look perfect. It doesn't, you know, but there is no such thing. (laughs) And starting to appreciate that really grateful and proud of what my body can do and just feeling more like myself in my own skin again in a way that I haven't in a long time. And so that that's made a huge difference. Amazing. And tell us a little bit more about, you know, what that difference has made in in just your day-to-day, how you go about life. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit, I think you just hold yourself a bit differently. You just feel that bit more confident in your body. You show up, you, you know, you show up for your shift and you just don't feel quite so subconscious, self-conscious. And, you know, I bought scrubs that actually fit as opposed to the really disgusting hospital ones that don't. You just feel a little bit prouder, a little more confident. But I also, it's almost like you have this secret that's like, I know how strong I am. I know I could lift that. Or like, you know, if I can't get, you know, if I can't reduce someone's hip, I don't think it's because I'm not strong enough. I think it's because it's not going in. Like there's there's bits to the job that sometimes you're like, yeah, no, I, I know I've got the strength to do my job. But it's also, you know, I go, went for a ski day the other day and was able to go for hours and feel good 
and you know yeah my quads burned a bit but I did a workout the day before you know like but it's those you know I can go for hikes I can go for walks I can do these caminos with my mom and we can walk for hours and hours a day and my body can handle it mostly <laughs> but it's the fact that I've the strength is there to do basically anything I want to do and that to not feel limited is really special Ah, so cool. And as I often say, strength is a feeling and you've experienced that feeling not only in, in the, the abilities that you have as a physician, the abilities that you have in your day-to-day, you've experienced that feeling in, in how your clothes fit and the confidence that you have when you carry yourself. You've experienced that in so many different ways, which is so cool. And so we work together on the strength piece and, and you've had, I mean, with certain exercises, you're twice as strong, three times as strong, super cool. You've worked with Suzanne on the nutrition piece. Tell us a little bit more about some of the the wins you've had there, some of the aha moments that you've had working with her. Yeah. So I think it's been really helpful shifting focus a bit onto particularly the protein and the fiber and really focusing on those those aspects has been really helpful. I was someone who never thought that I would track nutrition, track calories, and yet I've found it a really useful tool. And so I do find it helps me through my days to make healthier choices and to encourage me. Sometimes, you know, when I'm grabbing a snack, what am I going to grab? You know, okay, I'm shy on protein. Maybe I'll grab something protein heavy. And I think Susanna also really helped me to focus less on the, the calorie number, which I think is what I resisted tracking for. It matters, but it's it's not the end of the day. It's not, it's not, the only thing that matters and really giving myself permission to have healthy goals around whether it's weight or nutrition or all those things. And so, you know, things in my life have not been, have been busy and have not, you know, weight loss hasn't been the appropriate goal for a little bit here, but maintaining my weight has been a good goal. And I've been able to do that. And I'm really grateful for that. So just, I think having those healthier reflections on what it means to be fit and healthy and not, you know, as you guys talk about, not just the number on the scale. Right. Yeah, so cool and really cool to hear about sort of your journey. 2016, you had this concussion about three years before you started feeling feeling well again and then maybe another four years to get to where we are today and just all of the strides that you've made in that time. And so the last thing I want to touch on is the self-compassion piece, which I know is is something that's obviously been really big for you in this journey and something that, that you've developed a lot of passion for. So yeah. Let's let's go with what are the three mm-hmm. things you can you can share on self-compassion that really your mindset shifted or have really made a big difference for you? What would those three things be? Probably the three pillars of self-compassion, the the kindness, the self-kindness, but pairing that with mindfulness and non-judgmental awareness of emotion and and all those things, whether it's good or bad, and the common humanity piece around allowing ourselves to be human, that idea that, yes, I'm allowed to feel like this is hard and give yourself permission to feel that it's hard. And that's actually how anybody else experiencing the same thing would feel. Many others would feel the same way. Feeling less alone, I think, is really helpful in that, that we're no, I'm no, you and I, no one is any different. We're not less human. So we have some challenge. It, we're going to have a, a, a challenging response to that. Um, we don't have to be expected to hold it any more easily than anybody else. And so making making space and time for that, I think, is really important that we we give ourselves time to actually feel some of those hard emotions. You know, one of the best phrases I've heard is the only way through is through. 
you know, that along with what you resist persists, I think really has been true in my life. You know, when I've resisted or chosen not to sink into some of those harder feelings, they're still there and they find you. They just find you in a big way later. So that's been really helpful for me. I think normalizing the conversation around self-compassion has been is really important as well, particularly in medicine, particularly in a field where we're trained and the system is not designed for us to practice self-compassion at all or to have any. And so the more we can talk about it and the more we can support each other through the challenges of the career and the profession, I, I think that's that's key is we have to talk about it and we have to normalize it and we have to make it okay for sure. And then I think the last piece I would say is because this is one of the biggest misconceptions around self-compassion is there's a duality to it. There's a tender and a fierce side and really recognizing that sometimes the self-compassionate thing to do is to be fiercely protective. And sometimes that's saying no or setting a boundary or whatever those things are. But for me, that's sometimes when I struggle to set a boundary or I struggle to maintain that limit that I've set for myself. And I have to remind myself, no, this is you. This is you being self-compassionate. This is you this is that fierce mama bear side coming out and saying, no, this is what you need. And so listening to that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we can, we can definitely tell you're passionate about the subject. Uh, I asked for three. I think he gave us five, which is amazing. And so <laughs> that passion has led you to hosting retreats. So you've hosted yeah. uh, several retreats now. Tell us about uh, the next upcoming retreat that you have, where it's going to be, and what any attendee interested in joining is going to experience with you. Yeah. So the next one is being held the first weekend of May. It'll be here on the Sunshine Coast again uh, at Linwood House, which is this really beautiful Victorian style kind of home in my community. Nestled in the forest, it's really beautiful. And it's really a nice balance. I try to find a good balance between content and opportunities to do yoga practices and self-reflection and and that and some group discussion and workshops on self-compassion but also time just to be and to be quiet or, you know, to chat with the other women that are there. You know, we can go for walks. We can, there's a sauna, there's a massage therapist that I bring in. So there's lots of opportunity for that R&R as well. And I think I try really hard to make sure there's that nice balance. So it's, it's a weekend away, it's a retreat, but it's also, there's something to take away from it. And I think there's something for everyone, whether this is your first exposure to self-compassion or whether you've been practicing for a long time, everyone can walk away with something. So cool. And uh, yeah, one of the things you said that really stuck with me was being in a, in a field where self-compassion is, is just not really, it's not really a thing. It's not really something we talk about and it's not really geared towards the practice of medicine. It sounds like pretty amazing work that you're doing and, and a really awesome opportunity. And so we're going to finish the segment as we always finish the segment with our because you are worth it moment. And what I want you to share, what I'm going to ask you to share is for any physician out there who is listening to this, who is maybe at that place in their life, much like you were post-concussion, at that low, really struggling physically, mentally, and it doesn't have to be through a concussion. It could be for whatever other reason, whatever they have going on in their life. But they're at a point where maybe they feel sort of hopeless. What is that piece of advice or something you want to share with them to let them know that they are worth it? You are truly valuable exactly who you are. It's not about what you can achieve or what more you could be or any of those things. Exactly who you are right now is worthy 
and valuable. Amazing. Well, Jen, I want to say thank you so much for for diving deeper into your story, sharing some of the struggles, the trials, and the tribulations you have. I also want to congratulate you on all your hard work and effort. I mean, I've seen it firsthand working together with you in the Fit Physician Program, how far you've come, the strides that you continue to make, and and it just continues to excite me for what the future holds for you. And so, yeah, thank you so much for this. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for listening to the Fit Physician Podcast. We invite you to head over to thefitphysician.com for more free resources and to learn more about how to work with us in becoming your strongest, fittest, most confident self.